Welcome to another edition to the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast show, live from Edinburgh, Scotland. We are here to rock the podcast world. This is our second series in interviewing somebody who suffered uh, from abuse, and not necessarily directly, but also indirectly as well. So we are about to start our interview shortly. So welcome to another edition. Broadcasting from Edinburgh, Scotland, across the globe. You're listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. The People's Podcast. Here to rock the podcast world. Welcome. We are here with our guest. Uh, our guest is Loretta Smale. Uh, now, Loretta is from Oklahoma, and we're interviewing you her on the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast show. Um, from Edinburgh, Scotland, we are. This is our second interview on a woman who has been through abuse, not directly, but obviously on a different angle through her mother's side. Uh, we, our first interview was with Altavis Pelzer, um, who talked about her her story, and you can find that on Hattrick and Ramsey. Uh, if you search Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed uh, on Google, you'll find us on Podbean. And you can search the previous episodes of what we talk about uh, from all sorts of interviews and just general stuff and politics and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, welcome, Loretta, to your, your first podcast, your debut. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. So uh, <laughs> so let, let's tell our, tell the people who are listening to this, tell who is Loretta, obviously Smell is your married name because you're married, but... Uh, um, uh, who is I'm guessing with your you have Loretta Miller Smale and Miller is right. probably your mm-hmm. maiden name maiden name okay mm-hmm. so you double barreled so tell us how was tell us about life growing up tell us about life before everything went sideways tell us about the good times growing up when did things start to go south but tell us what was life where you're from where you're born and just what what happened Okay, I was um, raised in kind of a, a rural community. Um, there was a lot of sense of community there. Um, home life, there was still challenges, even from the time I was born. Um, you know, we had a family member that did a lot of drinking, and so I was, you know, exposed to a lot of car accidents, um, even from the time I was one. And my dad... He didn't think I'd be able to walk. I would drag my leg around at one years old because of a really bad car wreck we were in. Um, another family member, um, there was drinking. And as about a six-year-old, I walked in on them. They had hemorrhage and there was um, blood everywhere. So I saw that. Um, it escalated. There was like a domestic um, dispute at my home when I was about 11 and um it was mostly just arguing. Um, either I was playing or I was awakened to the noise, you know, of the police being called. And um, then my parents ended up separating. It was around 10 or 11 years old that they separated and got divorced. So it was, you know, there was a lot of good things, but there were some other things I was exposed to growing up that caused a lot of fear inside of me at even a young age already before we even got to the divorce and what happened later. So, so I was, what was, was uh, just because of the drinking and the general, what was all happening was, I mean, was it, uh, that what obviously was the cause the breakup yeah. of your, 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 your parents basically. Was yeah, there, there was, I don't know the exact cause of what caused the breakup, you know, but there were family members that were drinking and things like that. So yeah, there's some things I just, you know, I don't, tell everything but um the main thing happened after after they had gotten divorced things just went the other direction yeah right okay so that's it wasn't the even though even from your story that you're about to tell still mm-hmm. things still wasn't that great at the beginning either no uh, uh-uh. so it was a bit of a rocky road as well so was, yeah so after the after your parents being divorced was there any mm-hmm. time of kind of uh how'd you put it there was, was there a calm at all before anything yes there really there in? really was yeah there was like from probably the time I was 11 till I was 14 I felt like I had more of a normal life because we were 
We were going to church every service. We were enrolled in a Christian school. And um, there, yes, we both of my parents had got divorced by this time. I mean, sorry, they had gotten remarried by this time. So my dad got remarried. My real mother got remarried. And um, there was a sense of, there was families combined, but we were making it work. And there was, there was a calm there for a little bit. Yes, uh-huh. So, tell us when things started to go really south for you, when things okay. when, when things went went wrong. Okay. Well, mom, we were um, doing visitation with her um, every other weekend, and it really looked like things were fine because we were when we would go on visitation. You know, we would. You know, we'd go to a store, we'd get to buy something new, and um, we would go. Their houses were always nice that we stayed at. One time it was a rental, and then um, later ended up being a house they had built. And they were um, attending church and even had, like, at one point, a Christian bookstore. And I know, like, Christmas presents were, um, were Bibles and things. And so, I mean, on the outside, it looked it looked fine, you know. But, um, so mom, you know, when you're a kid and you, you're 14 years old and you love your mom and you love your dad and, and mom was, um, pulling on us to come live with her. And so we did, um, the custody papers were changed and my mom had custody of us then. So this is your real, your real mother. Obviously your my real mother. mother. And, yeah. And this yeah. was in another state. Mm-hmm. Right. So you went to live with your real mom, obviously your blood mom. You were, mm-hmm. were you living with your blood father at the time, yeah? Yes, uh-huh. And I remember my dad, he tells the story that because he, he went to church and he said he took the custody papers and he laid them on the altar because, you know, he didn't want us to leave. But he just basically put us like in God's hands because he didn't know what else to do at that time because he wanted us just as much as mom did. And so then we went to live with her about three and a half hours away in another state. Okay. So um, was that, that can't have been easy for your dad at the time? Um, no, uh-uh. not at all. Did that, how did his life no. did that do anything? Did his life get any better or worse after that? Do you know much about it? or was it just? Was he... You know, it seemed like there was a summer we didn't hardly see him. I think for like the summer, six, three or four months, we were, I don't even know if we saw him very much. It was... Some things in my life, um, I feel like, are a blur almost. Because if you went through a trauma, some things you don't remember everything. Okay. But, um, yeah. Is your dad still alive to this day? Or is he yes, alive? yes. Very strong pillar in my life still, yes. So uh-huh. he has, it's good that you should got contact with him, which is good. Yes, uh-huh, and, yes. And things obviously a lot better now, mm-hmm. now, which is good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... After now living, you've now moved to your mum, with your mum, and mm-hmm. getting your, your mum and her, your current, maybe your stepdad at the time, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was, after, I'm guessing it started at the start, it was probably okay, and yeah. suddenly, mm-hmm. yeah. bang. Um, well, yeah, it, it, it shifted. So we were there, and I do remember him taking me to church. I remember him enrolling me in public school, and some things seemed very normal, but then also there were times where we, we had a nice size house and there was a basement that my brother and sister would ride their bikes. It was big enough to ride their little bikes down there. And we would always see um, these bars in the basement, like prison bar looking things. And they were like welded together and they were rusty like. And um, so, you know, we were asking mom, like, what are these for? And she began to tell us that he would, when we weren't there, like before us kids came to live with her, he was locking her in and he was disconnecting the phone. So when we were there, though, he didn't put the prison bars up. But that began a series of, um, we began to hear them arguing all the time. And um, she would run from him, Frazier. She would pack us kids. So there was three of us. I was the oldest, probably 14-ish at the time. And my brother and sister probably might have been 11, 9. Those are guesses, but real close to that. And she would pack us in the car, put everything we could fit in the car while he was at work, 
and we would run from him. And she would tell us because he was raping her and he was hurting her. Mm -hmm. But we never saw the physical abuse. We would only hear what she would tell us. So it happened behind closed doors. Okay. So when you tried to, she tried to escape many times, what, mm-hmm. did you go back somehow or what was the... Yeah. So like I can remember at least four different places that we had stayed at in just a very small amount of time. Um, I remember being in hotel or motels at the time. Um, one time we were on a relative's um, screened in porch Um one time we had rented like a uh, like a trailer that was furnished, but like every time we would go back, I don't know if it's because she ran out of money. I don't know the exact reason, but I think that might have been it. So there were times where we had this one house one time she rented where we didn't have furniture yet. I'm sure she was going to get furniture, but I remember times where we would sleep on the floor or the food got really low. And um, this one time, there wasn't, I couldn't find anything to eat. And, and so I, um, you know, I asked mom, you know, what do we do? And I had some 50 cent pieces that I had collected and they meant a lot to me, but it meant more to me that I would get like, um, eggs and, and bread for my brother and sister. So I took those and, and that's what we ate. And, um, but she still went back to him. And the last time that she went back to him, you know, the only anger that I saw from him was, you know, one time he was very angry about something and he came in and he ripped off all this stuff off my walls. He never touched me in a physical way. Everything that seemed to happen was behind closed doors, but it was enough to make her run from him so many times. And, um, But anyway, the last time, do you want me to keep talking about it right now or? Keep talking, carry on. Okay. Okay. So the last time we went back, um, she couldn't run anymore because the car would not start. Okay. So this is where the story gets pretty intense. And um, keep in mind, you know, you imagine your grandchildren or your children being 14 or 11 or nine years old sitting in a loft. Um, watching television with your mom and they had been arguing that day and so um, he left the house real angry and um, he left probably maybe a couple hours and we were you know just kind of hanging out in that little living room area and when he came back um, he came up the steps and real angry he told my mom I want to talk to you and so we, to be honest with you, Frazier, we were so used to them arguing. It wasn't physical fighting in front of us, but we were so used to the arguing that I said, as a 14-year-old innocent girl, I said, I said, Mom, please work it out with him. And for years, I actually blamed myself this happened because of what I had said. But I know now that's not true. But I said, go work it out with him, Mom, please. Because they always would work it out, and we just keep moving on. Well, this particular time, um, they went into the bathroom to talk, and um, Mom starts screaming. She says, call the police. He has a gun, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs. And, you know, we didn't have cell phones um, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. and our phone was downstairs on the wall. And In, we didn't how, go ahead. Just quickly, how uh, obviously is it quick before you get to, to get to that part? The, with you, you said you, so you were about 14, was this in the space of just about a year this all kind of happened? Because you would have been, I mean, um, I was probably 15, probably 15, when yeah. this actual moment happened, yeah. So you were about 15, so you were kind of, you'd probably been there for about a year, a year and a bit? Probably just under a year, all under this kind of happened, this all yeah. Kicked off. So maybe yeah. so before you kind of moved officially to be with your mum, he mm-hmm. she was obviously being be abused before you arrived, and then uh, when you arrived, even though you never saw it physically, but mm-hmm. behind the scenes, you know, whether you were not there or not, I mean, you might be yeah. at school. She was being obviously raped and uh, abused behind the scenes, locked up, obviously treated like a complete slave, basically. And then obviously at this point in time now with the, the argument in the bathroom, this mm-hmm. is where it kind of came to a head. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll carry on from there. 
Okay, so she was screaming, call the police, he has a gun. And Frazier, we didn't have time to go downstairs and get the phone and call the police because he starts shooting her in the heart. And I was this 15-year-old girl running down the hallway to try to save her life. Like when you're in trauma, you don't even care about your own life. You just care about saving the other person's life that you love. And so my brother and sister, I don't remember if they followed me. I can't even remember that part. But as I'm running down the hallway and I'm trying to open the door of the bathroom, they said that there were holes in the door where he was still shooting as I was running down the hallway. So really, you know, I shouldn't be here. It is it is God's angels probably that were standing there that I'm even alive today. And so I'm pushing open the door. And when you go into the bathroom, you know, often you can see a mirror. Well, I was looking in the mirror and I was watching as he shot himself in the head. So I didn't like, I wasn't standing right in front of him when he did it, but I saw it in the mirror and I was, um, I was pushing open the bathroom door and I was like pushing my mom's body a little bit because in order to get in, I had to push her body just a little. And like, I remember stepping over top of her because the only way I could get to her. And I was, um, like trying to hold her head up because she was like choking on her blood. And, um, I know it's, it's really gruesome, but it's what I saw as a kid. And, and my stepdad, he is laying over there and I keep hearing him breathe so heavily because he was still alive. So I'm holding my mom. I'm seeing the blood in her nose and her mouth. I'm holding her head up and I'm hearing that gargling choking sound. And, um, and he's over there breathing real heavily and I, then I had left the bathroom and I was screaming at my brother and sister not to come in there. Like I wouldn't let them see what I just saw. And that's when I had went downstairs and my hand was shaking so violently. I, I couldn't even think 911. My, it was like taking a car accident times 10. There was just such a state of trauma inside of me at that moment. And my back in the days where you had to dial, I couldn't even get my finger on a, on a, on a one or two or anything. And I remember somehow I, I pushed a zero and I could hear the operator screaming for us children not to hang up the phone because they were going to send out help that way because they could find your address. So they were hearing us screaming like, somebody please help us, help us, somebody please help us because we're like kids. This isn't adults who know maybe would have known what to do. Like we were never prepared for what happened to us. And then from that point, my little brother, from from what I'm told, my little brother was like maybe 11 or 9, 9. He, My sister would have been 11. He would have been 9. Okay, you heard the part about my little brother who would, who would take his little bike up the road. Okay, and I did miss that part. So carry on. So we had a slight, but I think the connection took a slight break. So let's carry on. Okay. Okay. So he had went up the road to um, get us some help. And at the same time, by dialing the operator, they were sending out people to help us. And we were, I remember being on my knees in front of this house, just screaming. We were in the country. There was no neighbor like in town that could hear what just happened. We were way out in the country in the hills and um, we were just screaming for someone to help us. So that's kind of what happened there. so when you, just to kind of, just to piece, kind of un- unravel this a little bit to, for people trying to mm-hmm. understand who's listening, is uh, when you were in the bathroom holding your mother, um, mm-hmm. had she passed, had she gone when you had to go down, ran down the stairs, or was she still alive when you left the bathroom? You know, the last thing that I remember seeing of her was it was like the blood was trying to come up come up into her mouth and her nose like she was um, choking. He had shot her so many times in the heart. Mm -hmm. They said that she died pretty much instantly. So I was just seeing like the, that final moment probably, but there was nothing I could do. Okay. Yeah. There was nothing I could do. Sorry. No, no, don't worry. Okay. So, you ran down, you've obviously, I'm guessing you're probably, at the moment, looking back at this, is probably thinking this is something like out of a movie, which is not, yeah. this is real life. Um, yeah. A house in the middle of nowhere, and you've just, yeah. oh, doesn't matter how hard you scream, 
nobody's nobody's going to hear you. So yeah, what what eventually happened? What help came? What obviously was your dad? Obviously, after your stepdad kind of shot himself, and you could hear him breathing. Did yeah. he eventually die or what? Okay, uh, okay. So then, eventually, because of us me dialing a zero, and the op, the phone fell from the wall, and she heard us and somebody was being sent out from that. And then my brother going up with his bike, um, obviously got help. So then we started having sirens coming in onto the property. And I believe it was a police car was the first thing that I saw. And what they did was they took us children to a neighbor's that might've been a mile down the road, because it was kind of like in the Hills, like in the country and the houses were not very close together. So they took us to this house of people we didn't even know. Keep in mind, our parents are gone. We don't even hardly know any people there. And um, so I'm sitting in this bathroom. I think my brother and sister were in the living room of this home of people. And I'm sitting in the bathroom. I can't even talk. I'm sitting in a corner, like in total shock still. And it's like we were waiting to see if either one of them lived. And me being so young, I just thought, you know, you watch TV and you think that they're going to come back to life. You know, have you ever watched a show on TV and they, they get help and they come back to life? But see, what happened is we heard one siren. Um, they, we heard two sirens go, but only one siren came. And so my stepdad lived about six hours, they said. But they said my mom pretty much died immediately. Okay. So, um, so basically, after so he was pretty much lying there. Did he take it to hospital at all, or was he just? We didn't go see him. We don't. We, all we know is he lived about six hours because my dad had come about three to three and a half hours from another state to pick us children back up. Uh-huh. And this is what we heard. And then there was a time in this where I was even questioned by the police because my. Because I saw what happened. My hand was on the doorknob of the bathroom. Yeah. Like, we we were witnesses, and I had to relive it and tell to the police. Mm-hmm. That kind of been, being in total shock, that kind of been easy at that time, you know? Yeah. So, let's, I'm guessing after all this aftermath of what's happened, um, there'll be, obviously... Did you we'll come in? What did you, did you go and live with family, or you obviously went into your original your blood father, your dad, or yeah, we went back. Mm-hmm. We went back to live with my dad. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what? we and that's where my life like after that it it just went into such depression and things like that. Right. Yeah. What we'll do is we'll come back to your audience. We're going to um, get Loretta to introduce her song that uh, she's recently uh, written and r- recorded. Um, and which is about her life um, and this what's happened so I'm going to get Loretta to introduce the song and then we'll come back in uh, part two um, of the uh, basically with back with her being back with her original her father and uh, how life went from there until present day really and we'll take it from there and her experience and with her maybe with what she's gone through and obviously with what maybe what she's experienced with her own family to this day and how she's also now involved in Awake Africa Scotland but we'll come back to that after she's introduced her song so please introduce your song the song is basically my testimony and my story it's called Love is Pouring Down it talks about the trauma but then it also talks about God healing my heart Slave to another schemes, a lonely girl. 
welcome back. Uh, just uh, hope you enjoyed the song uh, that you listened to. Uh, we're going to come into part two with Obloretta regarding uh, when she's been back with her father, her her, her blood father, and uh, we're going to talk about just life from then onwards and what how things uh, unravelled after the the dramatic shock of what happened with her mother and her stepdad, stepdad. Uh, in the space of best part of less than two years, and how things have just what sort of un inspired, sort of spiraled maybe out of control through depression and things. So, Loretta, tell us what happened when you moved back. Okay, well, I remember the day very well that we went back to the house, and keep in mind this trauma had just happened. And the first thing I remember is a room full full of all around the sides of this room of family members who wanted to know what had just happened. So first we, you know, we told it all again, the best we could, even in that state of trauma. I remember driving in the car with my dad back home. I don't remember saying one word in the car. I remember just looking out the left window, staring the whole drive home because nobody knew what to say. My dad didn't know what to say. Nobody knew what to say. And so we went back home and um, the memorial or the funeral service was held um, in the same state of my dad because that's originally where my mom was from. And so from there, um, I went back into public school and not many people knew what had happened because this happened in another state. And what I call it is um, burying it under a rug. So I went back into public school trying to act normal, like nothing had ever happened to me. And I didn't go to counseling. I don't think that was um, something they really did that many years ago. And um, so I buried it. And I remember times, you know, sitting in my room, rocking in the corner with a pillow and saying, Jesus, please hold me. God, please hold me. And, you know, that was my comfort. And we had a country church where, I mean, they would have altar calls every service. And Loretta would just go up there with tears falling out of my eyes. You know, I didn't know how to cope with what had just happened. But I loved God with all my heart. So that started. And um, if you fast forward a little bit, I, um, I got married. Um, have a wonderful husband to this day, 25 years of marriage, who has been with me through all of this and been such a strength and support. And um, even after I came home and I had all this happen, I don't feel like I dealt with it that like I internalized it. And I had um, nightmares and um, I was so fearful of everything, like especially men, um, if they had any appearance of the size of my stepdad, I would feel this panic feeling come on me. And I, even to this day, I work on looking people in the eyes. Like it, it totally messed with my self-esteem. I, I can't explain what one day like that will do to a person, but it, it messed with my self-esteem. So it's kind of like, just, it's maybe just internet this section, but we'll kind of, We'll okay. The best we can. Did you I mean what? Did you go to end up going to like college or university at all, or did you, when you did you just kind of leave school? Uh, did you, when did you finish school? Obviously, for education purposes, before you got married. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what kind of? How was that like? Did you just did that? Was that just too traumatic for you because of all the things you're going through? Okay, so okay, I don't know if anybody can understand this. Some of my high school seemed like a fog and, and it's almost like, you know, even like history and things like that, things that I should know, I don't remember even learning it. And I know I did like, it's like a big fog or something during that time. And my family was big business owner kind of people, you know, and I would help with the family businesses. So, um, I went to business school for a little bit, but I didn't go to like a university or anything like that. I got married at a pretty young age, um, pretty much from the time I got home, you know, I met Scott when I was 16 and he, he became such a good friend who would listen to me. And we've been together ever since. I thank God for him. But, um, I got married and, um, so you're married, uh, we met Scott at 16. When did we married about 18, 20? Did you get married? 
I got married at like 19. Right, okay. And, or I was 20 and Scott was 19. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, so my life, you, we kind of touched on it briefly, um, that you, you're still struggling with things. And he's yeah. pretty much supported mm-hmm. you all the way through. Um, yeah. I'm guessing going through the process of when you had your, I mean, you've got three kids, two kids? I have um, two. two. I kids. have two. I have two daughters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I suppose when your first one arrived, it was, uh, I'm guessing you probably went, I mean, obviously going through the motions of what you're, you've been through and also having to bring up kids at the same time. Can't have been, yeah. what was that like? Mm-hmm. What was, tell us about yeah. that, the, the sort of scenario when you had kids over the early stages of your marriage. And to, yeah, um, you know, having the children was was one of the best things that ever happened to me. It's just what had happened during that time. Um, my sister that had been in that house, you know, when my stepdad did this, um, when she was 23, um, she was in a terrible car wreck. Mm-hmm. And we are rushed to the hospital again. And my sister is in ICU and they are telling us that the head trauma was so bad that there was no um, brain activity. And so I was there when the family made the decision to pull the life support. Yeah, when she was 23 years old, I lost my sister. And so at the same time, I I had my little girl. She was probably about three at the time. And then we hear that she she started having signs of seizures, but we didn't know that's what it was. And we took her to the doctor, find out my three-year-old's having epileptic seizures. And I will be truthful, when that when that happened... I feel like I had internalized so many things. I know what it is like to feel like you snap. And that is when things really took a turn. And I remember kneeling by my bed and I told my husband, I said, either you have to pray for your wife. In other words, a miracle needs to take place or you need to just put me in the car and take me to a mental hospital because I felt like mentally... You know, I hadn't totally dealt with everything, and then I have more things happening. And what he prayed for me, but then from there, my life started taking a turn of where somebody got me um, on to taking um, cold medicine and sleeping pills to kind of numb out. And so he would come home from work, and um, thank God for a husband who will love his wife unconditionally even when she's going through such pain. And I would be laying on the couch with my little girl, and he would come home sometimes, and I hadn't showered. I was in the same place. and um, But it got to where he'd come home from work, and I would just take sleeping pills and go to bed. I'm not proud of it, but my life started going down this spiral. Mm-hmm. So. so after when you're... With it going down, basically spiraling out of control, were you getting quite sort of not addicted to the kind of all the taking all the, the cough medicine, the sleeping pills to try and just obviously help you sleep to numb everything out? But when did you suddenly realize that this has got to stop? Yeah, well, I had when my second daughter was born, I went into one of her um, checkups, and the doctor, um, you know. It's amazing how depression can loom over a person so much that you don't even have to say you're going through depression, but sometimes people can see the agony on your face or something. Because he, the doctor said to me, he said, he was checking my daughter, but he was saying, are you okay? And I hadn't said a word to him. And um, I broke crying in the doctor's office, and I wasn't okay. I had held everything, and I was not okay. And and so he introduced me to um, a low dose of antidepressants. And I was like, yes, I'll take them. Anything that would take my pain away, Fraser. I was like, so that started a journey of antidepressants. And mostly it was sleeping pills towards the end. And I would sit in the woods and I, I didn't want to take my own life, but I didn't want to live. Like the torment that was just inside. I don't know how to explain it to anybody. And what happened was we ended up moving to another state. And when we did that, my husband had it on his heart to go to Bible school. And so we both started Bible school. We started learning um, how good God is and that He loved me and that He had a plan for me. I started hearing all the good things in Scripture um, 
that my life wasn't over and that God still had a plan for me. And it started filling some of this negative with like, I would sit in church, I think it was a year of sitting in church and hearing this positive stuff going in me, that it wasn't my fault this happened and God loves me. And um, from that, some healing began to happen. And I had this impression in my heart to do something that I never would have done, never. But the impression was to get a webcam and to tell my story on the webcam. And I had never told it. Like, Scott knew it. Very few people knew what had really happened. And when I began to talk about it, like, little by little, healing began to come in my life when I began to share my story. And then that um, just started down a road of recovery where I I remember this day very well. I went—it was one of the worst days of depression I had ever felt— and I went into my room like I normally did. The blinds were closed, and the blanket was up to my face. And I was begging God to please help me, begging Him, Frazier. And I heard something in my heart that I had never heard. I mean, it was loud in my heart of me, and I feel like it was God talking to me. And He was saying, Loretta, I want to help you, but you have to get out of the bed I want to help you, but you have to get out of the bed. See, I had given over to just going to bed every time I was in agony for so long. It was like my leg weighed 10,000 pounds is the best way to describe it. And I had to get my mind in cooperation with my leg to get out of bed that day. And from that day, God began to show me how to replace the depression with other things like walking, visiting a neighbor, Um, going to church, going to groups, and he began to help me to talk and to share my story, to get around people that were positive. With all what you, you, just a quick, if you were, even though we'll carry on with the story, but what would you say to somebody who, out there, if they're listening to this, what would you say to them who is going through something very similar, not not similar story, but maybe just, as they're listening to can understand Mm-hmm. Just maybe listening to this and go realize that's me lying in that bed and yeah. wanting to do something, crying out to some, crying out. What would you say to them? What would you say to them? Yeah, I was, and this wasn't one year, two years. This was years of this, of just going to bed like this. And when I had it in my heart to get up that day, it was like I literally took God by the hand and began to trust Him with my life. And that's what I would say to people. Um, It's almost like giving your heart to God again, and maybe you know Him, but saying, okay, I'm going to trust you to take my hand and lead me out of this. And there was times I went back into the bed. It didn't happen overnight. I fell back in it sometimes, but He began to give strategy. And I encourage people, this is huge, to learn to replace it with something. What is something else that you enjoy? And for me, I like to walk. And so I'm through wind, rain, cold, summer, I would get out in my neighborhood and I would walk. And it may be something else for somebody. Um, I began to go, maybe get out and go to a group somewhere, but get out of your house and how much he loves us and you're valuable and you have us this is what I would tell people you no matter what it is you have a story to tell and so I encourage them to replace it that would be huge and God walked me through forgiving you know for it's all a process but as they take God's hand um, he will help them to forgive to release people but it's that first step of taking God's hand would be my encouragement to them okay um let's Carry on with what's going on. You've obviously started the process of uh, making sl- small steps, uh, trying to uh, improve things and go and see neighbours and etc. etc. So just talk us through mm-hmm. that process of how things gradually got better, uh, as and how you, and what by I don't know changes and what, what you felt in, in your life it was changing and it helped mm-hmm. you obviously with other things and with obviously your marriage, your kids and just. Mm-hmm. And, and just how things, just the process of getting better, really. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm so big on having God in your heart. That to me was the 
was a huge step because when you acknowledge him in your heart, he leads your life. And you get these impressions is the best way to describe it. And this one time I got this impression um, to be a greeter at my church. And it wouldn't leave. Like an impression sometimes will stay in your heart over and over because it's God's way of trying to help you. And I thought, you know, what do I want to be a greeter for? What is that going to do? But, you know, I followed through. And by being a greeter, I was a greeter at my church like eight years. But I will tell you this. In the first days, weeks, and months of being a greeter, it was so hard for me to look people in the eyes, especially men. But through that greeting process, God began to help me to be with people and, um, you know, shake their hands. And and now to this day, it's way easier, you know, to look people in the eyes and um, greet them. So little things like that of just following promptings in your heart because God is trying to help you. And I remember one time I was on a walk in a park and I wasn't even praying about this, but that same tug, that same impression was Loretta released them. And he was showing me people like my stepdad that had hurt me, changed my whole entire destiny, um, helping me by the spirit of God to release them and forgive them. And you know, in yourself, like, you know, there was times where you almost, you hate to say this, but you almost hated, you know, because you're like, you changed my whole world. But God gives you the ability. Um, I said a most, the most simple prayer out of my mouth to forgive him. And you know, it just does something. It's, it's hard to explain unless it actually happens to you, but the spirit of God inside you helps you even to forgive these people. And so it's, and then I started going to like a worship group. So every Tuesday night I was in this small group of maybe three to 10 of us, sometimes just a few and being around people of faith who worshiped God from their heart. Even if I didn't participate in the beginning a lot, being around people that are of faith and positive begins to put good stuff inside of you. So I think I was, I'm still doing that. And I think it's been like seven years of that. So it's getting in groups where positive stuff is going in you. It begins to replace this negative stuff. So that's my encouragement to people. That's how I've walked out. I'm still walking through. God has opened so many doors and um, way more healed now to talk about than I used to be. (laughs) Do you still, if you, obviously now things are a lot better, I mean, thinking back before you moved to a different state again with your family, um, do you, I mean, you used to sit in those woods and you didn't know what to do, you were sitting Mm -hmm. basically uh, to take your life or you didn't want want to take your life but you're just in a complete, at your wit's end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you still, does that to this day does that that sort of sitting there still is it is like inside you is there still the kind of stuff in the basement you still want to kind of deal with or you're kind of starting do you feel that now are you starting to gradually get to the basement and finally clear everything <laughs> not out in a sense but you're dealing with it it's starting to feel a bit more like you're feeling lighter as the days go on oh yes I feel like a completely different person you know, what used to throw me off, like if I'd be sitting with somebody who was watching a movie where there would be any kind of killing or anything like that, it would just throw me off. And I would be, it could be days, um, it could be weeks of still dealing with it. But um, as I've just been stepping out more and more and more, like such goodness has enveloped my life that there's not that that bad anymore is the only way to describe it. I feel for the last, I would say two years, especially, I feel more like a normal person (laughs) and I am 45 and I feel like I am living for the first time. And I just want people to know that there is healing. I mean, even if it took, even if 40 years of your life were bad, um, you can come out of these things because I'm like living proof and I'm still walk, walking it out. But you know, Um, right, just talking about it, writing my story, sharing with other people. Now my heart is to take this pain and turn it and help other people to come out of pain. 
so I feel different now. I, I'm on the other side of it wanting to help. And yet there's still some tears because I don't think those memories will completely just erase from your mind. Mm-hmm. There is like these memories that are probably just going to be there till I go to heaven. But the pain is not as intense as it used to be. And I can, I can talk to other people about it now. So just a quick recap on things. Is there anything that you might, well, just don't, is there anything you think you might have in your story in that you want to, you might like to talk about or that you might have missed out in the process of talking. Mm-hmm. It's maybe, maybe, and the reason I ask, it might still be quite hurtful to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But do you think by talking about it might help, whoever <laughs> might help somebody? You know, I, I, go ahead, sorry. No, no, I'm just wondering if you've got anything you might have, sometimes when you're telling a story, you maybe subconsciously yeah. don't want to talk about something because it's just yeah. really, Mm-hmm. Quite still quite hard and raw even to yeah. this day mm-hmm. but sometimes maybe just talking about it can be that step take it to yeah and just if is it if uh, you don't have to if you don't want to just sure mm-hmm. well you know I remember a few other things I might talk about and that is after this happened to me this fear thing that tried to envelop my life would make me be afraid of the dark. And sometimes I'd be driving down the road and I would just get these thoughts in my brain to just drive off of bridges and like, just kill yourself. And I don't know why those terrifying thoughts were kept trying to come to my mind. There was a season of that, but, um, I don't have any of that anymore. Um, the thing I kind of wanted to say to people was another thing helped me was journaling. I kind of, Um, I have pretty much journaled my whole life and it's a good way to get things out too. And to begin to write down your dreams and your visions because your life isn't over just because somebody else tried to determine your destiny. That's not who you are. You may have grown up for years under bad circumstances, but that doesn't determine who you really are. And I literally feel like I'm learning who I am, especially in the last two years. So begin to write down what you'd like to do, um, your dreams and your visions again. That's something I would encourage people to do. Tell us, um, tell us, when did you discover your singing voice? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, you know, I've always worshipped God, like, in my car by myself or um, in my little room upstairs, kind of worshipping from my keyboard by myself. And even at the group I go to. And um, this one time, my family, my real dad, and my stepmom were here from from another state. And they had left. And I was on my keyboard just worshiping God in my living room. And I forgot I didn't lock the door. And so they came back in the house. And they heard me playing. And I had just kept everything inside. Everything that I ever was. I always just kept it internal. I never let it out. And and they said, Loretta, you need to like record this stuff. And my dad had tears running down his face. And then my my stepmom, she started having tears run down her face. And um, from that, then my husband, he said, Loretta, you really need to start recording these things. And, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of money at the time, but I went to... Um, this man, I was going to have him play the keyboard for me. And, um, and I just started believing for one song and money began to come my way to record an entire album. And that was just like in the last two years, everything has just broke loose in the last two years. So yeah, I internalize everything. I mean, I inquire when I was in high school because it was such, um, just foggy. I would sing at a whisper, but I love to sing but I felt like me was trapped. I felt like me, the real me was like trapped inside. And, um, but it's finally coming out even at this age. <laughs> you, tell us, obviously you cross, well, when you found out and heard about this project, Awake Africa, Scotland, um, mm-hmm. and you obviously heard what it was about. And, uh, at the beginning, I know you, we're going through a bit of a, a rough patch. Whether you want to talk about that before you suddenly realised that this I need to be on the start. You you mm-hmm. had well, well. When you first heard about the project, what were your thoughts and what were your kind of mm-hmm. uh, first? And obviously, you want tell tell people what you're you were thinking then. 
Yeah, I was going through a little season with some family situations. And um, so I didn't jump right in at first. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in my living room this one day and like I've been talking about, I'm a huge person on following impressions in your heart because I feel like I live with God. We, we do stuff together and it's called relationship. And I had this, this tug this one day to contact you and see what this was all about and see if there was any way I could help. And, um, and it's just snowballed from there. Mm -hmm. So by being involved on the Wake Africa Scotland, this project with I mean, how just when that that tugging, you felt to uh, make that step. And what have you? Mm -hmm. How how's that affected you in your life from then to now, present day, now doing this podcast for the first time? Well, I'm like so excited to be able to help people, and um, that song that that you played. Um, I had this urgency in my heart to write my story and that happened at the beginning of the year. So, you know, I get involved in this and, um, it's like the snowball just keeps rolling. Like God just keeps doing stuff in me when we're willing to step out. And, um, I feel very much a part of what you're doing. So however I can help, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, if there's anything else you want to quickly share to uh, <laughs> anybody, you might just, if you want to, anything about your story you want to share, feel free and uh, tell, mm -hmm. tell anything you think going going through what you've talked about if there's anything you think you might have missed or you want to talk about or shared go for it you know I yeah I um, hope that people will connect with me on my blog it's um, my name lorettasmail.com because in the earlier days if you go back on my blogs um, I began to talk about how I came out of the depression literally step by step are you still there? Yes, Sorry about that. My phone rang. I thought so. Don't worry. Okay. So tell me your blog. I can say that again. Okay. So I just encourage people to go on to LorettaSmail.com. And if you go back earlier in my blog, I talk about how I um, walked out of depression literally step by step. And that's going to be going in a book we're going to be producing. We're going to have a workbook. Um, we're going to have... Um, programs on the, um, we're going to have a YouTube channel where people can just tune in and learn the steps that I took to, to come out of these things, but they can connect with me on lorettasmail.com or they can, um, Loretta smell ministries. They can, um, like my page and then they can know everything that's going on. And this song will be released shortly with a video that they'll be able to see. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you for being on the Hattick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast show and thank you for uh, taking the time yeah. to share your story. Uh, sure. And to everybody, and obviously our, it's our second interview um, of, women of, this, uh, of women who have suffered abuse, whether it's direct or indirectly. Mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully, if you're listening to this, that you have um, maybe you're touched in some way or you're inspired to uh, do something or to maybe you just need somebody to talk to I'm sure you can contact Loretta through her uh, website her blog in some way or form or on Facebook um, and you can maybe and you can maybe reach out to her uh, in some way or form if you need somebody to talk to um, and if you're having if you're in that a similar situation today uh, and you've heard this and you or you know of somebody Please share it and uh, hopefully they'll give them that exit door to escape the situation they're in. Uh, mm -hmm. So I want to thank you, Loretta, for coming on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. uh, appreciate the opportunity. Apologies for the slight connections problems, but they will hopefully edit them out as much as we can so they won't be too effective um, in the, once we set, set this up. But uh, thank you and uh, yeah. Uh, good to chat and good to hear your story and uh, may others be inspired to share your story and uh, basically move forward in their life and help open their start to talk and not to hide away okay thank you keep your head up through the storm so you can see the clouds parting it may be hard to sing along, but take a look at just starting. Who you are is who I need to be. With your scars, you can keep an eye out for me. 
hours in the night For more days in the future When you need the sunlight You know what's coming to soon yeah. Who you are is who I need you to see With your strength you can shine it down on me Who you are is who I need you to be With your scars you can shine it down on me We've been told that things aren't always fair We must forgive ourselves and never despair it's not your fault Only precious things are kept in a vault Please try to love the world again Some of us still need your hand You can sh-